This is Who Deserves a Monument, Episode 1. Who deserves a monument? It's a simple question with not-so-simple answers. There was this lady lives on the end of my block, and she has fed everybody Thanksgiving for the last 25 years. This person always keeps the playground clean, and we should give them a monument. Unsung heroes, what community chooses. Somebody that's been able to get people together in a common cause and make a positive and lasting change that improves our society. Someone who is of general service to mankind and the community as a whole. Someone who has done the work, contributed to the community, and possibly society as a whole. Quiet, humble hero that had a really good heart. Wallace Dean Muhammad. He helped us in the black community understand that it was more of a universal religion as opposed to something secular. Her name is Laura Hatcher. And she's been working with this group that she created called Little Lobbyists. Someone like her, Laura Hatcher. (laughs) A good monument about the essence of who we are should last forever. Have you ever really stopped to look at and think about the monuments where you live? Or have they faded into the scenery? Do you know who shaped the history in your town or your state? And do you know who keeps the playground clean? I'm Sarah Lonas, and I'm your tour guide on a journey that starts in one Baltimore classroom and takes us through more than 150 years of American history, following the lives of five remarkable people whose stories remain largely untold. We'll take what we think we know and question it. We'll laugh. We might cry. But we'll be better. But first, how did we get here? United States history is dominating the headlines these days by being at the heart of a debate that has compelled many to take to the streets. How should Americans remember the past and confront the deep wounds of slavery? This most recent push to get rid of Confederate symbols can be traced in part back to June 2015. That's when avowed white supremacist Dylan Roof killed nine black parishioners at a church in Charleston, South Carolina. June 15, 2015. Dylan Roof entered the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and began shooting. He killed nine people at a Bible study he had previously attended, targeting them and their church because of its importance to the black community. Before the shooting, Roof posted photos of himself online with a Confederate flag in one hand and a gun in the other, calling for a race war. But what he got was something far from it. His act of terror, wrapped in a cloak of white supremacy, was a galvanizing moment. Here's then-South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. That brings me to the subject of the Confederate flag that flies on the Statehouse grounds. For many people in our state, the flag stands for traditions that are noble. Traditions of history, of heritage, and of ancestry. The hate-filled murderer who massacred our brothers and sisters in Charleston has a sick and twisted view of the flag. In no way does he reflect the people in our state who respect and in many ways revere it. 150 years after the end of the Civil War, the time has come. There will be some in our state who see this as a sad moment. I respect that. But know this, for good and for bad, whether it is on the State House grounds or in a museum, the flag will always be a part of the soil of South Carolina. Despite some ongoing debate, the month after the Charleston massacre, lawmakers removed the Confederate flag from the statehouse grounds for good. New Orleans was the next city to take major action, 
removing all Confederate monuments in early 2016. Here's the New Orleans mayor at that time, Mitch Landro. Can you do it? Can you look into the eyes of this young girl and convince her that Robert E. Lee is there to encourage her? Do you think that she feels inspired and hopeful by that story? Do these monuments help her see her future with limitless potential? Have you ever thought America was a place where nearly 4,000 of our fellow American citizens were lynched? 540 in Louisiana alone, where our courts enshrined separate but equal, where freedom riders were beaten to a bloody pulp. So when people say to me that the monuments in question are history, well, what I just described to you is our history as well. It has been a long and winding road marked by tragedy and triumph, but we cannot be afraid of the truth This speech, this action by New Orleans, had a ripple effect across the nation. Other cities began removing statues or publicly discussing their options. In Charlottesville, Virginia, debate had been brewing in the city council for years. In March of 2016, a Charlottesville high school student named Zianna Bryant petitioned the city council to remove a Confederate monument. In February of 2017, the city council voted to remove the statue from the park. That action prompted a swift and aggressive response from white supremacists. It began, at least according to the organizers, as a protest against plans to remove a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee from downtown Charlottesville, Virginia. I think it's a historical monument and it should stay where it's at. But the events there earlier this month jolted the nation. This week, the nearly century-old monument was covered in a black shroud and calls for it to be taken down The protest in Charlottesville, led by a group called Unite the Right, had many in the nation on edge. Protesters bearing lit torches and flags with swastikas descended on the park and the streets. Their chanting, their arms raised in Nazi salutes, brought to mind the worst of humankind. Unite the Right protesters were met by clergy and other counter-protesters calling for the removal of the monument. The atmosphere was charged. The media was documenting every move. The protest proved deadly. Counter-protester Heather Heyer was murdered in a car-ramming attack by a white supremacist as she walked down a Charlottesville street. After Heyer's death on August 12, 2017, Confederate monuments began coming down within days. In Durham, North Carolina, Birmingham, Alabama, Gainesville, Florida, Lexington, Kentucky, New York City, and in Baltimore, where I live. Baltimore removed Confederate monuments overnight under the cover of darkness. The city is part of a growing movement around the country. It is gaining momentum after the white supremacist demonstration in Charlottesville, Virginia, that left one counter protester dead. Crews in Baltimore took down four monuments, including a prominent statue of Generals Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson. The week after the deadly violence in Charlottesville, Baltimore's city council passed a resolution to destroy all Confederate monuments. Overnight, from August 15th into 16th, crews working for the city removed four public monuments linked to the Confederacy. The mood in Baltimore, a city that is 64% Black, was mostly celebratory. People honked their car horns and cheered as they drove past the empty plinths. They gathered to dance and make art 
where the monuments once stood. In other places, the mood wasn't quite so welcoming. Alabama's governor swiftly signed a bill into law that banned the removal, relocation, or alteration of historical monuments in place for more than 40 years. So when the city of Birmingham, which is 72% African-American, put up a barrier around its Confederate monument, Alabama's attorney general sued the city and asked the judge to fine them $25,000 a day for their alleged violation. You could say that some states saw this coming. Mississippi passed a law protecting war memorials way back in 1972. Virginia and Tennessee already had laws on the books when Charlottesville happened. North Carolina banned the removal of monuments in 2015, just a month after the Charleston attack. Georgia, who had protected all Confederate memorials in 2001, in exchange for removing the Confederate flag from its state flag, went even further in 2019, banning the removal of all monuments, markers, plaques, and place names dedicated to historically significant military, religious, civil, civil rights, political, social, or cultural events. So basically everything. They also enacted stiff penalties for vandalizing monuments. The fine for graffiti went up to three times the cost of replacing the entire monument. But cities are fighting back. A judge overturned Alabama's law in early 2019. Regarding the Birmingham Monument, Judge Michael Grafeo wrote, and I quote, the state has placed a thumb on the scale for a pro-Confederacy message. A city has a right to speak for itself, to say what it wishes, and to select the views that it wants to express. It is undisputed that an overwhelming majority of the body politic of the city is repulsed by the monument, end quote. According to a 2019 report from the Southern Poverty Law Center, over 100 monuments have been removed or renamed, but 1,700 still stand. Not just monuments, but schools, parks, and roads. Ten military bases in the United States are named for Confederate leaders. And the nation is divided. In a 2017 Marist PBS NewsHour poll, 60% of Americans said they thought Confederate monuments should stay. A July 2020 poll from the Washington Post and ABC News shows that it's really a partisan issue. While 74% of Democrats want them gone, 80% of Republicans and 56% of independents oppose removing Confederate statues. Those against removing the statues claim that doing so erases important parts of American history. Former President Trump took on the issue at his July 4th speech at the White House in 2020. We are the descendants of the most daring and courageous people ever to walk on the face of the earth. That is why we pay tribute to generations of American heroes whose names have etched on our monuments and memorials and in the pages of history and in the hearts of a very grateful people. We will never allow an angry mob to tear down our statues, erase our history, indoctrinate our children, or trample on our freedoms. The real question is, whose history is being erased? It's time for our first monumental moment, the history of Confederate monuments. Monuments are built and erected to commemorate or remember a person a group of people, or an event. 
because of their historical or cultural significance. Because they are made in remembrance, and because the subject or subjects are often deceased, monuments are often referred to as memorials. There are many monuments on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. Mount Rushmore is a very large monument. The purpose of monuments is to remember. For individuals, we remember their heroism or valor, their good works. For events, we remember the sacrifices made and the successes won. Confederate monuments are one type of monument. They honor individuals and groups of people who fought in the Civil War on the side of the Confederacy or who were sympathetic to their causes. Their cause was to keep their rights to enslave African Americans, and they were willing to leave the United States and form their own nation to do so. Confederate monuments often feature men on horseback or in battle scenes. There are also monuments to Confederate women who were nurses and caretakers. When you really start to dig in, you learn that there are a few curious things about Confederate monuments. First, when they were dedicated. Confederate monuments were first dedicated shortly after the Civil War ended in 1865. This makes sense. These were typically small, private monuments in cemeteries or on battlefields, remembering lives that were lost. But most of the monuments we think of, the towering figures in city parks, outside of courthouses, inside our Capitol buildings, those monuments on public grounds are something very different. There were two periods of distinct spikes in Confederate monuments, the early 1900s, with a big peak in 1911, and again in the 1950s and 1960s. As you will get very, very smart about as you listen to this podcast, these were also the periods of U.S. history when Black Americans' civil rights were most aggressively under attack, and when white Americans were most threatened by integration and Black progress. There are a couple of ways to think about why these monuments were important during these times. On one hand, they helped to rewrite history. Remember, the Confederacy lost the war, the war in which they were fighting to keep other men and women enslaved. This is not a good look. So this wave of Confederate monuments it came with inscriptions, words on plaques. These inscriptions build the myth of the lost cause of the Confederacy, which says, Hey, I think you misunderstood. We were just fighting for states' rights. We were just like all about independence and self-determination. There is no hatred here. That's more or less what the inscriptions say. A group called the United Daughters of the Confederacy is responsible for hundreds of Confederate monuments. They wanted their husbands, their fathers, and their brothers to have proud legacies to be heroes. So they raised the funds for the statues and lobbied to have them placed in prominent public locations. In addition to rewriting history, the monuments were also a huge power play. In 1928, the year the Lee and Jackson Monument was privately commissioned in Baltimore, Baltimore had more Black residents than any other city in the country. And three times as many Baltimore soldiers fought for the Union than the Confederacy. It's safe to say most people in the city were not losing sleep over honoring the Confederacy. So when J. Henry Ferguson puts down $100,000 to buy a Confederate monument, which is about $1.5 today, it's definitely a play to control the narrative. You want to try to vote, to run for office, to get a government job, to live near where I live? Think again. 
So if we're to believe that taking monuments down erases history, what does leaving them up do? Here's William Sturkey. He's an historian at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And so the fact that Baltimore wasn't even in the Confederacy, you know, erecting a Confederate monument distorts the reality of where Baltimore actually stood during the Civil War. The primary issue, and this probably gets to people who are worried about, you know, white ethnic heritage, is that Confederate monuments completely erase black voices. So as many people know, African-Americans were formed enormous portions of the Southern population in states like Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, they were actually the majority of citizens. So when people say states' rights, they're not thinking about all people in the state, they're thinking about just the white people in the state. So Confederate monuments and the Lost Cause myth were designed to paint the Confederacy in a more favorable, just, and humane light. To separate the Confederacy from the evils of enslavement, to glorify their bravery on the battlefield. But they were also designed as a visible reminder of who was really in power. Remember that Confederate flag over the South Carolina State House that was removed in 2015? Remember how we heard about the proud heritage and how revered the flag was? How it was part of the soil of South Carolina? Well, it might surprise you to learn that that flag wasn't hoisted in 1861 or 1910. It didn't fly during World War I or World War II. No, they didn't decide to raise that flag and honor that heritage until 1961, the same year that Freedom Riders rode interstate buses into the segregated South, when the Civil Rights Movement was taking center stage. When the judge in Alabama ruled that the ban on removing Confederate monuments was unconstitutional, he said it was because it didn't provide adequate ways for the city to reject the monument's message of white supremacy. A huge part of the issue is that most of these monuments sit on public property. Their upkeep and their maintenance is funded by tax dollars. So what's fair when it comes to taxpayer dollars? Should you have to support something that offends you? Here's William Sturkey again talking about how many of these monuments came to be at a time when white elected officials were doing everything in their power to take the vote away from black people. So they wanted to remove them from the democratic process to start with. And then they used tax dollars, public tax dollars, to fund these Confederate monuments and to also fund Confederate pensions. So we live in a place where African-Americans paid taxes that then went toward helping erect and preserve these Confederate monuments. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. The most poignant problem with the way people misunderstand sort of public support of Confederate monuments can be found in black cemeteries all across the South. We live in a region where there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of unmarked black graves all across the South because public dollars were not given to actually preserve the entombed bodies of African-Americans in this region. You know, the money went toward white neighborhoods, and it went toward white cemeteries and white schools, and it went toward Confederate monuments. So we've actually spent more on this, these abstract ideals than we have protecting actual black bodies in the ground all across our southern landscape. 2020 brought a new call for monuments to come down, sparked by George Floyd's death at the hands of a police officer in Minneapolis. Building on years of advocacy and organizing by the Black Lives Matter movement, in a moment when much of the country was at home, glued to their televisions and social media, this time, the awakening 
to the dual experiences of white people and people of color in this country was even bigger. It wasn't just Confederate monuments under scrutiny. Citizens, scholars, and public officials began debating monuments to enslavers like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. In Baltimore, citizens gathered around a statue of Christopher Columbus, the man introduced to schoolchildren as a brave explorer who discovered America, who is more recently known as a murderer and rapist of indigenous people. Those Baltimore citizens surrounded the monument to Christopher Columbus, tore it down, and dragged it into the Chesapeake Bay. Monuments are coming down. So what goes up in their place? And who decides? Who Deserves a Monument is developed, written, and produced by me, Sarah Lonas, with sound design, mixing, and editing by Chloe Vantel. Our cover art is by Deshaun Fortune. I'd like to give a special thanks to Christina Ross and Stacey Parra. Who Deserves a Monument is a production of Booksmart Media. See you next time.